Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Zach Wolf, a senior writer at CNN, and this is The Daily DC The coronavirus has taken center stage and it's taking over our lives. Like many people across the country that are able to, we're also working and recording this podcast from home, and we're going to be recording that way for the considerable future. So apologies for any hiccups uh, that you hear, but fret not. We will uh, work to to keep you informed. Uh, The media is more important now than ever as uh, we deal with this um, pandemic uh, virus that uh, that has shut down so much of the country. Joining us from his house, is John Harwood. He's the White House correspondent uh, for CNN. And Dan Merica is the CNN political reporter who's heading home right after this. Dan, why are you in the office? I'm in the office to record this podcast, but I will let you know that I am surrounded by a bottle of Purell and some Clorox wipes, and I am touching both regularly and nothing else. It's kind of funny, and a lot of people are making light of their work-from-home situations. But John, are we going to be able to cover the White House? Are people going to be able to go in to work to cover what's going on? Are government workers going to be able to go in to the White House to do the business of government? I think they will. Uh, Obviously, everyone recognizes there's some elevated risk right now. uh, And the White House Correspondents Association, like all of our uh, member uh, organizations, and like CNN, uh, are advising people to take the precautions that um, involve social distancing and those Clorox wipes that Dan just mentioned, the uh, frequent hand washing, uh, common sense steps to try to protect people, especially those most vulnerable. But uh, even though life in the United States is clearly slowing down, it's not stopping altogether, and it's certainly not stopping at the White House. We're recording this um, on Friday afternoon. Uh, We expect a little bit later today for President Trump to declare a national emergency to deal uh, with coronavirus. I am officially declaring a national emergency. The action I am taking will open up access to up to $50 billion of very important and a large amount of money for states and territories and localities in our shared fight against this disease. John, tell us the latest about what's going on there and what's going on on Capitol Hill. How is government going to help people get through this? Well, gradually, the White House has been trying to get its arms around the gravity of the situation. Uh, the president's been considering this emergency declaration for a number of days. Um, uh, he did not invoke it, as some people expected, on Wednesday night when he gave that primetime speech to the nation. The na- that uh, speech did not garner very good reviews on Wall Street or anywhere else. It had a lot of errors. The markets plunged on Thursday. And so the president is now taking this additional step. At the same time, his administration is negotiating with Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker. Good afternoon. Over the last several weeks, our nation has been faced with a grave and accelerating challenge, one that tests our compassion, ingenuity, and resolve the coronavirus crisis. The American people expect and deserve 
a coordinated science-based and whole-of-government response to keep them and their loved ones safe, a response that puts families first to stimulate the economy. To put families first, last week the House passed a strong bipartisan $8.3 billion emergency funding package of entirely new funds. We made a well-funded, evidence-based investment in public health. Do you think this is something that the White House has encouraged him to do, or is this a signal that he finally gets it? I mean, we, we've all covered how he has sort of downplayed this crisis, how he has maybe, uh, you, you know, he, he doesn't follow all of the, the, the hygiene um, rules that everybody else does with handshakes and, and stuff like that. He hasn't gotten a, a coronavirus test, even though he has been exposed to people who have been shown to have the virus. So is, is this a turning point for him personally? Uh, I'm reluctant to say that, uh, and and I'm not sure the concept of whether the president gets it is really relevant. What matters is his behavior. We've had previous points, uh, including Wednesday, when uh, aides were saying on background, now he really gets it, now he's going to give the speech, and the speech was a uh, uh, major letdown uh, that did not show the gravity of the situation, did not call Americans to uh, a, a common purpose and shared sacrifice. Instead, he bragged about how well the economy was doing and how well he had done in responding to the virus. He did deliver it in kind of a sober tone that conveyed seriousness. But uh, this is about what the U.S. government does and increasingly what institutions in other spheres of American life, whether it's education or business, um, uh, what they do. Dan, uh, the two guys uh, still running as Democrats to, uh, you know, defeat Donald Trump in November. You expected, I think, probably to be in Arizona this weekend to cover their debate. Um, but this coronavirus has essentially wiped that primary story off the map, off the front page of, of America's newspaper. What is going on um, with the campaign right now for those of us who have not been paying as much attention as we would used to be paying to the final stages of a Democratic yeah. primary? I mean, you've effectively had the, the primary campaign in terms of the way that voters are consuming it. Stop. Um, you know, it's out of the headlines. You have both of the candidates trying to kind of grapple with this moment where they want to seem presidential. Joe Biden gave a speech about the coronavirus, standing in front of you know, multiple American flags, very presidential presentation by him. Bernie Sanders tried to do the same. So they're trying to seize this moment by, by focusing on the seriousness. But what is not happening is the day-to-day -day campaigning that we were so used to seeing uh, you know, on a daily basis over the last few months. And it's, it's come in a pivotal moment of this campaign. Joe Biden is in a very strong position headed into four contests on Tuesday, including Arizona, Florida, Ohio, and Illinois, all states that Bernie Sanders lost in 2016 and states where you know, Joe Biden is expected to do very well. He also has a delegate lead. So the, the debate you talk about that was supposed to be in Arizona, and yes, I, I was planning on being there, and now the debate will happen here in Washington, D.C., um, the, the debate will be critical to see how the candidates approach or how they're going to approach the next few weeks of campaigning. Is Bernie Sanders going to make his attacks and make his po make his points less personal? That will signal, you know, is he is he dwindling down? Is he winding down his campaign? Or does he do like he did in 2016? Does he go full bore and go after Biden for 
uh, you know, a host of more personally focused issues like he did against Hillary Clinton. Some of the signals have been that, you know, Bernie Sanders is not going to go there or doesn't seem like he is, you know, unless there's a strategic change over the next few days, like he wants to go there. But it remains unseen. And that's why the debate is going to be so important, because it will signal what is next for this campaign that is largely happening out of the headlines. And uh, we should note the debate itself, and not only was the location moved, but one of the um, one, one of the moderators, Jorge Ramos, uh, from the Spanish language Uni- Univision, now can't take part. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a total change. And now you have candidates like Joe Biden today will hold virtual town halls. It's a little unsure of how that will be taken, how that will take place. It seems like a Facebook Live kind of format, which will allow voters to ask him questions. You have Bernie Sanders doing another press conference today from Vermont. But, you know, there are impacts beyond the presidential campaign, too. Put yourself in the shoes of a first-time candidate running for city council or Congress, and you have a primary coming up on Tuesday. And you have to tell your volunteers, which, you know, probably are a smaller group, certainly, than a presidential campaign. You have to tell your volunteers, you can't go knock on doors. You can't do the things that we were planning on doing. Our entire plan to win this primary is now out the window, and we have to focus more on texting, have to focus more on direct email, you know, emailing, uh, making phone calls from your home. So you have a lot of these candidates beyond Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden dealing with the effects of the coronavirus, and it has re- dramatically altered the landscape that these candidates are competing under because so much of the focus is not on the thousands of elections that will take place over the next few months. It's on the health and safety of the American people. That's a good point, and especially since it was healthcare that animated, motivated so much of the, in particular, I would say the Bernie Sanders base of support, and to some extent uh, other other Democrats as well, because of uh, Sanders wants a he wants essentially to nationalize the U.S. Um, health insurance industry. Uh, and now we have a pandemic coronavirus outbreak that is showing the U.S. health industry or the, the healthcare system to be in a lot of ways inadequate. Uh, we have no access to uh, tests for coronavirus. I mean, I, there are some out there, but essentially many people who, many, many thousands of people who want or need these tests can't get them. And that's going to be, I think, the thing that people remember about this early stage of this outbreak. John, what do you think will happen in the near term with regard to those tests? And do you think it's going to uh, turn into a political issue with regard to the, you know, even more so with regard to the the health insurance industry? Does this play into Sanders' uh, wheelhouse, in other words? I think it plays into Democrats' uh, wheelhouse, uh, not so much Sanders'. Uh, Honestly, the pivot in the Democratic campaign may have already occurred. Uh, Joe Biden's in a very strong position. We see widening uh, leads for him in national polls as he's attained that delicate lead. Um, uh, Super Tuesday, uh, the combination of Super Tuesday and then uh, his uh, decisive defeat in Michigan the other day, it's going to make it very difficult for Sanders. But remember, um, a mainstream Democratic health care message uh, not the Sanders Medicare for all is what powered Democrats in 2018 to win back the House. That was key. Health care issue was key. And attacking Republicans for wanting to take health care away uh, was key to uh, the suburban gains that uh, Democrats made uh, that put made Nancy Pelosi the speaker again. And that 
makes this a very a doubly potent problem for President Trump now that uh, his performance is uh, being widely criticized on coronavirus. Uh, when, as Dan said, uh, we've underscored some of the shortcomings in the American uh, healthcare system in real time. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts there? Do you think that Sanders will? go on offense against Biden for not wanting a national health care system or national health insurance single payer system? Or will he reserve that fire for Trump? Um, And notice to the to the listeners out there, I, I think it is important to look at this in terms of how these different people are viewing it and whether Sanders will go on offense, because this is a campaign and you very soon are going to have to choose if you have not already are going to have to choose between these people. Yeah, I think that's the most likely avenue that that Bernie Sanders will take against Joe Biden on Sunday. He already somewhat has done that. He's raised questions about the healthcare system in a speech he gave about how difficult the second round of Super Tuesday states were for him, about their differences on the health care policy. You know, I covered the 2016 election, and when Bernie Sanders' campaign was dwindling down during that election, he worked very, he and his team worked very hard to get concessions out of the Hillary Clinton campaign, which included most notably a concession on college plan and college affordability. I have to wonder if the rise of the coronavirus, the fact that Bernie Sanders is where he's at, if maybe a concession he can get out of the Biden campaign is something having to do with health care. Now, I don't think Joe Biden is going to go full Medicare for all. He has been very, very out front against Medicare for all. But maybe that is an area that is both timely and, an, and a space that, that they can get some sort of agreement on that, that makes it easier for Bernie Sanders to dwindle down his campaign if that's eventually what happens. You know, as we speak, it's also worth noting that this is changing the landscape of the primary. The Louisiana Democratic Party, State, Secretary of State, excuse me, announced as we speak that they are delaying, postponing their primary that was supposed to be on April 4th to June 20th. I mean, that's how much coronavirus is shaking things up. And, and, and John mentioned this, but the, the importance of health care was already out there for Democrats. The 2018 gains that the party made were driven in large part in the suburbs of major cities and because of health care voters. And I've talked to a number, working on a story, actually, I've talked to a number of House candidates who are dealing with how they're going to run their campaigns in the era of coronavirus. And one point blank said that this makes my message of health care more resonant. And this is a quote, this drives home the importance of access to quality, affordable health care, end quote. So that's what I think you're going to hear from a lot of not just Biden and Sanders, but a lot of House candidates as well as they plot to run against Republicans in November. John, earlier in the, the week, we'd been hearing that uh, from President Trump that he wanted a payroll tax holiday of the you know the FICA taxes that you pay in to support uh, Social Security and Medicare. They were talking less about that now, and it seems like Democrats in the House have a little bit more momentum for a proposal that would temporarily expand sick leave, um, that would uh, you know change unemployment rules for for some people affected by coronavirus. What's the latest there? Is that something? But on the other hand, I, I should point out, senators have left town. So is that something that is going to see resolution in the near future, or is that weeks away? No, I think it will see resolution in the near future. Uh, the president's payroll tax proposal to suspend it for the entire year is enormously expensive, faced resistance in both parties, uh, both on the grounds of the expense, but also that it's not uh, ideally targeted to people who need help. 
So you're seeing increasing bipartisan convergence around this House package that Pelosi is negotiating with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. Um, they're near the finish line. I suspect they will cross the finish line in terms of their negotiations sometime in the next few hours. The House will vote. Uh, and I would expect the Senate to take it up pretty quickly um, uh, early next week. They've canceled their recess to make sure that it gets done. Um, it could even be passed uh, in an extremely expedited fashion if you somehow got uh, unanimous consent from senators. That's very difficult to do, so I wouldn't wouldn't bet money on that. But it's not out of the realm of possibility now that Washington sees the need for confidence-building measures to try to um, calm anxiety both among the American public and among financial markets. It's truly incredible the speed at which this is happening, I think. I've, I've seen them try to do a lot of things in recent years, and very little gets any bipartisan support. Uh, this looks like it will go from action to execution in about you know five to seven days. Is that kind of unprecedented, or how do you feel about the? When crises get big enough, that's what happens. Uh, and certainly we saw during 2008 when markets were crashing, uh, you had a a hiccup initially with uh, conservative Republicans defying President George W. Bush to oppose the um, the bailout measure uh, passed for Wall Street, but then the, then it came together, stabilized the markets. We saw the same thing uh, in terms of uh, bipartisan response after Hurricane Katrina, uh, after 9/11. Uh, so it, it is true that Washington always has a first instinct toward uh, partisan fighting on both sides, but uh, when people see uh, life and death consequences of a large enough magnitude, that can uh, uh, often overcome those divisions. So it only takes a you know, global pandemic to get everybody together, which sounds sad to say. And I will just on the way out the door, I will point out that those votes can haunt people. Joe Biden will probably have to answer for that uh, Wall Street bailout bill that you mentioned, the TARP bill, the, the, the bailed out banks in the financial crisis. That is something that ultimately did not age well, even though it might have saved um, the U.S. economy. John and Dan, thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show and if you want to tweet about this podcast, I'm going to do it. Please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe. Wash your hands. We'll see you next week. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.